The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is filmmaker Etienne Kabwabo. Etienne was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo and had to flee to Uganda by foot with his family to escape when the country was being ravaged by war. On the way to Uganda, he was split up from his family and ended up fighting to survive on his own. They were eventually reunited as a result of a moment of pure luck, having not known for years whether Etienne was dead or alive. Etienne came to join his family in Glasgow aged 19 and we talk about what it was like to arrive in a completely alien environment and the obstacles and challenges that he overcame and continues to face. We discuss Beats of War, Etienne's comic book creation and Scotland's first black superhero. And we find out how Etienne maintains an almost inexplicable positivity after what he's experienced in life. This is an unbelievable account of a unique and inspiring guy and one that I'm proud to call a fellow Glaswegian. Blethered is written, recorded and produced by me and has grown through word of mouth. So if you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it because it's a great help. Cheers. So I feel like there's going to be a time when people are going to walk out of a cinema after having watched Scotland's first ever black superhero and they're going to say, I wonder how that came about. I wonder how that happened. Well, here is the story. We'll go all the way back to the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's where you, you were, were born, wasn't it? Yes, that's where I was born, yeah. Tell, tell me a wee bit about that because you're very... What's the word? I don't know what the equivalent of anglicised is for, for Scottish, but you're, you're very, you've got a very... Scottish identity but obviously a very proud heritage as well I mean tell me what that was like or what your memories are of growing up there I mean I left Congo when I was about like 15 so was it 2009 so, that you came here yeah I got to this to the UK but before I got to the UK I was living in Uganda for like five years right okay alone and didn't know where my family was but growing up in Congo it's just I remember just kind of living somewhere in a village somewhere a small town people are happy playing mm-hmm. football until the war came and things all just kind of went to shambles. But it's, it's, it's always been like beautiful, man. Like it's kind of like that part of my childhood that I feel like had to stay with me to always like inspire me or mm-hmm. keep me grounded in things that I'm doing. So living there and then the war started, then that's when my family moved to the UK and I didn't know where they were and I moved to Uganda and I lived in Uganda. So throughout the whole time living in Uganda, I was living by myself. So it's quite, it was mm-hmm. a bit of a struggle. Give us a, a wee brief history lesson, if you don't mind, in terms of the origins of the war and and how your family ended up, how you ended up becoming split up, because that's at that age as well, it's unimaginable. Yeah, like the war, I think, has been going on for a few years now. You know, like Congo is blessed by a lot of minerals, right? Mm-hmm. Like diamonds, you know, gold. There's a lot of minerals in Congo, so I feel like there's a lot of clashes between mm-hmm. a lot of politicians selling the these sort of minerals abroad in other countries and there's rebels who don't want you to take their land it's quite complicated that that history is Mm -hmm. something you would need to read even myself because I'm a bit younger people are older than me would tell you a proper history about how those things started and stuff like that but yeah there's always war of people wanting people to move from their land so they can you know exploit those areas and get these minerals and people saying no this is our land you can't go here and then it, people start killing each other, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really scary even thinking about it. But um, Congo for me and my family, we come from a place called the North Kivu. Okay. That's like close to the border, border of Rwanda and Uganda. Right. So it's not like in Kinshasa where there's a... In Kinshasa, they speak a different language called Lingala. Lingala is more like... Those are like proper Congolese who come from there. They've got capital city. Mm-hmm. That's their side. So they've got Banyamulenge people <clears throat> who are... Close to the border of Rwanda, their their language is completely different from people from the capital. So yeah, just growing up there, 
it's it was peaceful in years when I was growing up until the war would just go worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why these rebels fighting. You don't know why the government army are coming in trying to kill people, not listening. So as a child growing up, that was like horrible. Mm-hmm. At times I remember just going under my bed and hiding and hiding sometimes, you know. And then when the war started, you know, when the war starts, everybody's running, you know. And then you go into huge numbers when you're walking, right? Because you're all walking either to a country you feel like itself. Mm-hmm. So through those crowds of walking in groups and huge numbers, people lose their children. People get stepped on, you know, by mistake because someone starts shooting out of nowhere and you all have to run, you know. So something like that happened and my family was split like that. I never knew where they were. I didn't even know they were in the UK. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you're kind of... Re- recounting that now just as the way I would talk about yeah I, I was um, I was on the way to Celtic Park and I got split up for five minutes and it was you know I'm back like looking back on it as if oh yeah it's just something that happened did it hit home to you then or did it hit home now how horrendous that is or is it something that you've just come to terms with I've kind of like come to terms with it because like when I moved to Uganda and then I started growing up I uh, I started having a lot of mental problems. So I turned to Christianity because I felt like when I went to church and prayed and had people that felt like they spoke to me. Mm-hmm. So the word of God was kind of like my escape for me, can I say. So I was like in a dark place. But when I moved and I joined church and started surrounding myself with the positive people mm-hmm. and my mind started kind of like putting that past behind, even though it took me a long time to kind of like be like, oh, okay, Etienne, this is you. This is a new opportunity you've got. You're here, it's safe. No one is showing you. Even though the life in Uganda was quite tough, you know, you have to, you know, be grateful for what you've got. And yeah, it took me a few years to kind of like put that back. Mm. But when I put that back, I always say that there's a lot of children or families that are stuck there that did not get even yeah. a chance to cross the border. For me to be there, I need to be grateful, mm-hmm. not to think about things like that. So I even, uh, a friend of mine is on who gave me this book called The Secret, you know, how to be grateful yeah, and yeah. stuff. That helped me. That was like my savior. Like, it's, it's like a gateway for, that was my gateway to sort of personal development or I don't want to say positive thinking because I think it kind of diminishes how powerful it can be. So yeah. that was that your kind of entry point? Yeah. I started opening up my mind to um, how the world and the universe is so bigger than us and how mm-hmm. your thoughts can change how how your outcomes of things that happen to you will be so i started working on training my mind to be positive and mm-hmm. to be happy and to choose not to surround myself with negative people and honestly even now, now i live in scotland i meet some people and they're like etienne you're so positive all the <laughs> freaking time i'm like this is the only way this is the only way because you, you attract what you're like you know yeah. and even Understanding that just helped me put that sort of past behind me, mm-hmm. and I'm a new person now. I mean, it's wow. I think anybody listening to this, because you just said there, nobody's shooting at us anymore. I mean, that's just it's, it's very difficult to to even imagine. But you talking about getting split up from your family made my literally made my head sort of spin, um, yeah. and to to be able to be positive and that I'm actually kind of struggling to get back to my train of thought because I'm just kind of stuck there I mean that you you get split up what happens you're just kind of heading in a direction then where do you go from from that point at that point when you're crossing the border you don't even know where you're going I end up I found out that I was in Uganda when I was there (laughs) yeah I didn't even know where I was going I just following a group of number of people that were sleeping on the streets keep going for weeks and weeks that's when we end up in a capital called Kampara. And there, I stayed on the streets a couple of times. I used to sell sell water on the streets. And then I learned how to DJ through <laughs> a friend, someone who told me, come and clean this place. It's like a bar. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started learning how to DJ because I, I enjoyed the computer. I was so fascinated by computers and yeah. how you could drag a truck and put it on, you know, virtual DJ and start mixing <laughs> it. And then when I started, you know, doing that, it was like my escape and... I started hustling to survive there mm. in Uganda. It's not easy. What age were you? I was like 15. <sighs> yeah, I was 15. 
Did somebody take you in? Like, did people look after you? Oh, yeah. Some families picked me up. And like I'm saying families because it was like two. One picked me up and then they had to move out of the country and go to another, uh, another back to their country mm. in Tanzania. So I had to live on the street again. And then I found another family that was from Congo as well. And they picked me up. They just liked my energy. And they just took me in as like a family. Honestly, hmm. it's just fascinating. How did you end up? So your family, I take it, then have found a, a route to relative safety in the UK. Yeah, debatable when you look at the attitudes of some people in the UK. But we will come to that. How did you end up getting back in touch or reunited? Because that just seems like like um, universities apart. Yeah, I think they went through Uganda as well, but I was not even sure about that until I met somebody that knows me from Congo. And they were like, wait a minute, that's Rose's son. I feel like there's a film here. Yeah. And, you know, and the guy was like, I've got somebody I can contact that may know where they are because they knew they were out of the country. And then. I feel like I'm getting a wee bit emotional, like <laughs> imagining how you must have felt. When I, when he arranged for a phone call and I spoke to my mom fast, I was crying. No like, wonder. For five minutes. I just. I was like, where you guys, you know, um, where did you leave me? You know, but obviously I knew they didn't leave me. We just got split up. And they told me they're in the UK. I was like, oh God, how did you get? So I don't even know their journey to how they go to the UK. That's yeah. their story to tell. But yeah, when we got in touch, my mom being a fighter, she uh, she started processing family reunion visa, which I got rejected re- rejected a couple of times until we did a DNA test to prove my that God. I was part of the family. But I was... I was it was hard. It was hard. But when I got that phone, you know, that phone call when you're not spoken to somebody for like five, six years and your siblings, oh, I was crying. That day was like, and I think the time I got that phone call, I almost gave up. I was like, mm. it was tough in Uganda. Should I go back to Congo? But it's not safe. Or should I live in another country? I, um, yeah, I f- when I received the phone call, we spoke, I cried and then she said, I'm going to, process the visas and stuff like that and help mm-hmm. you come here but which was not easy it took another five years I mean there's a lot of people who who will argue against you know people coming here as if like they have some divine right to who enters the UK or as if it's up to them or as if like yeah just by being born here you can prevent others coming I mean that in itself is just this unbelievable like to me let's flip it around if there was a Scottish person was in an African country you can imagine they'd be kicking up all sorts of shit if their family weren't allowed to join them. It'd be this horrendous injustice, yeah. Which it, which it is, and that is just unbelievable. So were they? Was the Home Office's point basically like, well, you could be trying to get anybody in here? That how do we know that's your son? Yeah, and I know they are following procedures to make sure that people that you letting in are not your family. So they had to like be like, no, uh, he's not your son. We need to prove this, and then. Um, I remember them saying, I was 18, they were like, because they, there's a way they, they, they can make it go slow, the process, so that mm-hmm. you grow old and they're like, oh, he's legally got enough to look after himself. Yeah. And then my mom, she's a fighter. <laughs> she went to court. <laughs> she kept pushing. And then Amazing. they did, they pushed for a DNA test and then they came out positive that I was part of the family. And then that's how I ended up coming to the UK and I remember sleeping with my visa for seven days before I flew up because I knew anybody around me could just steal it because <laughs> yeah. it was on the paper they just put it on the paper and yeah. my picture on it it was yeah, that those days those last days in Uganda I was like in a dream mm-hmm. and sometimes I speak to my brothers and I'm like imagine if I was dreaming this moment and then 2000 so it's 2009 you get to come yeah. was it um, I mean there's, there's a million culture shocks ready to come your way but Am I right in saying it was snowing when you came off the plane? It was snowing. Were I'd, you just kind of like, obviously you know what snow is, right? I but had you, ever, is. had you ever felt it? I never felt snow. I never seen snow. <laughs> you know, so I was like, you know, when you're in Africa and you're coming to the UK or yeah. another Western world, you're thinking of tall buildings, high rises, planes and cars going over. Like my whole perception of how I imagine Scotland it's not what I saw, obviously, yeah. but obviously because I've maybe I'd seen like American movies and I've seen New York City, so my my <laughs> head I thought Scotland is gonna be like New York City. Did you come into Glasgow Airport through Glasgow Airport? <laughs> so you're like this is Paisley, like, the fuck's this? 
<laughs> no, I actually was excited. Eh? I was just looking around. We actually even got a bus through the city center. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, and then I had this sort of Maasai uh, thing that you wear to keep you warm. Yeah. And it was started snowing and I was freezing. I was like, what, what, what's this? Is this rain that looks like ice? That's why I asked my <laughs> brothers. They always bring up this story again. Like, Etienne, you called snow ice. So <laughs> Technically, it's, it's frozen, yeah. frozen water. Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't wrong. Um, where, where did you first live when you then moved here? When I moved here, my mom yeah, had a family house where my brothers and sisters were staying in Puzzle Park, just near the uh, Neighbours, so I'm from Rob Royston. Oh. So just along the road. Just, just along the road. So yeah. that's why I stay near the high rises, you know. At Wester Common? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah, those kind of like open door houses. Uh, yeah. That's like three bedrooms. So that's why I went and then everybody's there. My mom had cooked a lot of food and there were other friends and family that were there. When I got there, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I just... I was just when like you, when you were first like sort of reunited. What was that like? I saw my brothers and sisters. They had grown grown up so fast. Yeah. They were taller than me. I'm like, what are you guys eating here in Scotland? <laughs> you know, they were tall. I was like, sit down. I'm your older brother. <laughs> yeah. But it was emotional at the airport. Yeah. I, 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 my sister cried. I cried. But obviously, they were trying to keep it together. You know, mm-hmm. um, we hugged each other for quite some time. And at some point, even on the bus going home. We didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, I've not seen you in a while. You know, but it was it was emotional. And I didn't know about Scottish weather. You know, it started snowing and by three o'clock, because it was December, three o'clock, it started getting dark. I'm like, why is it getting dark in the afternoon at three o'clock? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't know the time welcome changes. Welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, yeah, that was that, my experience coming in Scotland. I can't believe I actually have to say this. First, the first point I'll make uh, is for anybody listening. I'm hard as nails, some fighter. But I can't like m- the second point is like my eyes are filling up here, and I, I think it's just because I'm imagining, or I've never imagined like what. <laughs> like, you see people maybe reuniting in an airport, and you always think, oh, that's nice, you know, when people are dead happy to see each other. But you never actually consider, like f- for all I know, I could have walked past you, yeah, and just went, oh, that's nice. Mm. They, they've He's been on holiday, <laughs> completely oblivious and unaware to like what you've been through, what your family have been going through. Because not only are you going through hell at the age of like fifteen, fighting to survive, but imagine like also what your family are going through. Because not only are they worried about you, but the guilt that they must have felt that that you got split up, and was that difficult for you to to work through, or did you just come with a complete positive? positivity and mindset of look whatever happened happened and we're back together now or was it it must have been hard to work through uh it was hard because i started think telling them that look i thought you guys were either dead or moved to a country and just left me <sighs> and they, they thought that i had I'd either died through the whole you know moving mm-hmm. and i remember coming to times in uganda that um i may never see them again and I need to do something for myself, you know, just mm-hmm. that's when I started learning how to DJ. But when we met, I just started telling them what happened to me because I remember getting sick in Uganda. I had, I almost died. I had malaria and I was living in this family and it took them so long to take me to the hospital and I almost died. That was like, that was finished. And then at that point, I was like, I could have died, you know, but yeah. I'm here. So, you know, me just coming here and meeting them, I started putting everything behind because you look at your life and things you've been through and you're like, there's a reason why I'm still here. There's a reason why I pushed through that moment or mm-hmm. that time and I'm here with the, with the family. And that's why my friends tell me, Etienne, with things I do, I go 10 times harder because I know I got one life to live and yeah. I've been through hell in the past. So if I'm doing a project, if I'm working with somebody, I'll work my 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 I'll, I'll work myself really hard to make sure that I deliver because this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's kids back home who'd wish to be here. Yeah. You know, just be in a safe country. But they are not. So I gratitude all the way. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can begrudge you that. It's a, it's an admirable way to look at it. Um I'm trying to get my head around it. Imagine if it was me. I, I would hope to be the same, but I don't know. Fortunately for me, I'm never going to be in that position. But even just hearing that, I think anybody just hearing the, the, the wee bit that we've heard so far is like, it's it's very, very inspirational. 
I suppose you, you, then you come to you come to Glasgow, you kind of get into grips with with what's around you. What age would you have been at this point then? Nineteen. Nineteen. Yes. So just above school age. So you kind of get into the the big bad world, um, yeah. as you know, so to speak. What was your first impression of Glasgow, the city? Because Glasgow's changed a hell of a lot since then. Because yeah. I don't think people remember or realise. So when we got the Commonwealth Games, there was a hell of a lot of money spent in loads of parts of the city. It wasn't as great. I'm not saying it was like a third world country, mm-hmm. but it was very different. What, what was your your um, impression? It was paradise, man. Every yeah. day I woke up, I remember went to, I used to love eating chicken wings and potato wedges from Lido. <laughs> and then I just went for a walk and even went like where Partick Thisto Stadium is. Yeah, yeah. Met a couple of friends. Beside, uh, yeah. I was like in paradise. Like, and then my mom was like, you know, you can apply for a job center because you don't have a job. You don't have uh, the national team. And I was like, job center, what is that? It's like, they'll give you money if you don't work. I'm like, they give you free money here? <laughs> like, I, it was like paradise. But I feel like obviously it's changed. But um, like for me, every day I woke up, I kept pinching myself. Mm. And I'm like, I'm here, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm here, right? And then, yeah, and then it's been like 10 years now and uh, Glasgow's changed, you know. Obviously, I've seen it change, new buildings coming mm-hmm. up. Um, but I remember certain areas of Glasgow that are like quite iconic to me. You know, where Savoy Centre, where you pick like number 75 and 7, going to Postal Park, that side? Yeah, yeah. That's like the that's place. That's where my office is. Oh, amazing. That's and where we got the bus to my mum's house. That place kind of has a story for me. I used to go on the 75 bus around 2009, 10 as well. We could have sat beside each other and just just not knowing. Yeah, and you know what? You know what happened to me when I go to Glasgow? So I, uh, I remember going out to eat somewhere and then going back home to get a bus and then I got the wrong bus. So I got, I got number seven, but it was going towards Ibrox. <laughs> but I didn't know how the, the exterior looked like. So I didn't know if that was going to Puzzle. Yeah. So I, I kind of waited for too long and it went to the last stop of the bus. And the driver was like, mate, like this is where you get out. I'm like, <laughs> are we not in Puzzle yet? <laughs> He's like, no, you took the wrong bus. You should supposed to take one the other side. So I had a few struggles you know trying yeah. to work out how things work and mm-hmm. where to go and i think with time you start having that sort of your brain starts registering you know the visual look of the city yeah, and where yeah. to go and uh, before you know it you're good but i had some really crazy experiences you know getting lost and stuff like that yeah it must have been at times i suppose nice and finding the, maybe if you get lost in the west end or the east end or I don't know somewhere on the south side and and discovering all these like iconic buildings because you have we'll come on to this but um in the you know in the in the comic book you've you've included these these famous backdrops like what were the, were there any that kind of stood out to you where you're just like wow like really taking aback or when you first saw them yeah when I when I go to Scotland obviously there's some buildings like they've got this old architecture that you don't see in Africa the way they you, they construct mm-hmm. these buildings like yeah. when you look at the merchant city it looks really beautiful like I, I'm always fascinated about how these guys back in the day used to build this this stuff me but too anyway, yeah. yeah so when I was telling the story in the comic book I was like I've lived there for more than 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I need to pay homage to this city. I literally came here when I was 19. You know, now I'm 30 now. So yeah. I need to make sure that, you know, this is part of my life now. Glasgow, I'm Glass region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's part of my life. So there's some places like uh, Glas- Glasgow, some hospitals in Glasgow, like the Squinty Bridge. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, Squinty Bridge. Yeah. yeah and then, uh, you know, the crane. Yeah, yeah Faniston Crane or yeah. Faniston Cran if you want to go full Glasgow. Yeah, so those are the iconic places that kind of stood out for me. And I was like, yeah. you know, it was important for me to highlight these in the story and make people of Glasgow feel connected to the story. That makes me really happy that you called yourself Glaswegian. I would call you Glaswegian. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, and I mean that obviously. I mean that in the least patronising way because yeah. that can come across as patronising. But yeah, you're, to me, you are completely Glaswegian. You've been here that long. Um, other Glaswegians, what were your experiences when? Of, of, I'm sure they were mixed. You have said before they were fifty-fifty, and there's a certain example I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. But w- what was your first sort of feeling of? Of Glaswegian people, and and don't worry, it doesn't have to be fully positive because I don't expect it to be. 
Yeah, I mean, when I went to college, I think things were positive because my my lecturers helped me. And then at college, you meet some friends and some people are not really communicate with you. So I met like two friends in college, uh, Liam and Stephen. Stephen is Scottish, but also Italian. Really funny nice. guy. And uh, Liam Gaynor, he was really quite... Uh, a geek you know I found him really interesting because these things he after me with the script yeah. so I met some really cool friends and lecturers as well but when I joined college I was a bit uh, my, my self esteem was a little bit low so I wasn't confident enough mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I would do things that I wanted to do for example because I took f- film and media and in Africa when you grow up in a family you know you have to be a lawyer engineer or <laughs> Yeah. Anything else is like a disgrace to the family. So my mom was like, she expected me to be an accountant. So she she saw me picking up this other course about film. She was like, Etienne, Etienne, you know. But anyway, I made some cool friends and then I struggled as well. Like you could go to the shop, like for example, in TK Maxx and you have like a security guy mm. following you around. You know, like that was the one I was going to touch on. Yeah, like. Yeah, I know I've got money. I can pay for, you know, I, I need to look for the price first before I can not yeah. here to steal something. Mm-hmm. So, and then I got stopped by the police. A few years in, I started driving and I had this very tw- 2017 Mercedes car, you know. It was amazing. So beautiful. It's like a presidential car, but I got mm. stopped by the police like 10 times Close within driver, one week. Five same police officers. Can you imagine asking the same questions? Like, is this your car, sir? You know? And then a lot of things I started having, because I was listening to a lot of stories from my friends who were saying, oh, the police stopped me a couple of times, uh, going to a fight with them and they arrested me and I've got a, a criminal record, whatever. I, I decided, I was like, if I fight with these guys, it's not going to be good for me. Yeah. So I started looking, I started saying to myself, is, is Scotland a promised land like I thought it would be? You mm. know? So I started questioning if I do belong here. And then... My friend was like, Etienne, just find a way to shift your energy. And, you know, I, watching a lot of inspiration speakers and reading the book, like The Secret, I tried to get that anger shifted into something else that I was mm-hmm. really passionate about. And that's how Beats of War came to be. Uh, I told my friend who creates comics, like, yo, I want to create a black superhero mm-hmm. from Scotland who can deal with all these issues that mm-hmm. we face here instead of just, you know. Yeah, like... I think it's it's I think it's a really positive, again, admirable trait to try and shift that energy. However, I think it's a justified anger. Yeah. I can't relate, like I can't relate to that. The police have never stopped me. And and they wouldn't because I'm just a unless I was acting really weirdly or I had like a balaclava and like a bag over my shoulder that had like a dollar sign on it. Yeah. Other than that, there's no re- like they're never gonna stop me. And if they did I would be like, I think I would be like, what the fuck do you want? Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not bothering anybody. And it's easy, I think, for people in my position to then say, Scotland's not racist. I don't have a race problem. You know, just because I don't do it, therefore I don't see it, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And it was when, kind of reading about these things, other people's experiences or, or yours, you're like, how is that fair? Like, for what reason? Like, why are you stopping somebody? If I get pulled over driving, I'd be like, well, I think I'd be really... Unless they... If they didn't have any reason, or I knew they didn't have any reason, I think I would probably be quite obstinate and belligerent. I'd be like, what? What do you want? Why are you stopping me? You've got no reason to stop me. And I actually thought about this. I was out walking, um, like, two or three nights ago. Like, just getting my steps in. Fitbit, you know how it is. Yeah. And I had, like, jacket on, hood right up. And I probably looked really dodgy. Yeah. And a police car drove past me. And I don't know why it crossed my mind, but I remember thinking, like, what would I say if they asked me what I was doing? And I th- I'd, I was like, would I be cooperative? I'd probably be all right. I'd be like, I'm, I'm kind of just out walking. But if they started, like, quizzing me, I think I'd then be like, I don't need to fucking talk to you. I'm not doing anything. It's a free country. You, you don't have, you probably don't have that luxury. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh... I f- for me, for when I see, I see the police, I'm scared. Like, even up to date. Like, I start thinking, oh, have I paid my insurance, my road tax, MOT, and everything's paid. Yeah. But I still see the police and I'm scared because those guys kind of like, there's like when somebody does something to you a couple of times, you start, even though they mean good, you start checking yourself to see if there's something you've done wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've got my own brother, Albin, he's stubborn. 
So the other day they followed him. Uh, he's got this BMW, black new car. Mm-hmm. They follow him for like a good 15 minutes on the motorway. You know why? He pulls up to the neighborhood near Apostle. He stops, then they, they drive past. Then he drives again, then they follow him again. You know what? He stopped and then drove past and then he followed them for like a good five minutes. <laughs> and then they put the lights on, they stopped in front of him. They're like, why are you following us? He's like, you've been following me for half an hour. Yeah. What's wrong? It's because I'm driving a very expensive car. Yeah. You know, so even now, like I've got like a Mitsubishi Lanter. It's mm. like a, what, 1,200 pounds. I don't feel comfortable buying a nice car. Like, I think maybe if I'm living in another country or I buy an apartment somewhere yeah. where I can drive a very expensive fast car when I'm able to afford it. But I feel like if I get it, I'll be stopped a couple of times. Like, that, I mean, that's just horrendous. Yes. And, but, like, having never had this conversation with you, I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with any, with any non white person. But now hearing this, it's like that makes me really angry. Yeah, and, and that sounds like performative. Like, oh yeah, I'm on your side, BLM. That's not. I don't mean it like that. But yeah. it just makes me raging because I'm like, well, how the fuck's that fair? Like, why? Why should that happen? Why should they be stopping me? If you've got a reason, fine. You know, if if I don't know, there's a one of your brake lights is out or something. Fine. Other than that, there's no reason to be stopping you. And you would imagine. I mean, this is wishful thinking, but there should come a point where after a certain amount of times, if it's the same people, they give me a badge number, you should be under investigation. There might be people who listen to this and think, don't be so ridiculous, don't give a shit. Yeah. You shouldn't just be, you shouldn't be able to just stop people. The only slightest way I can relate, and I would like to explicitly point out, I am in no way comparing them. It's maybe like, I suppose I'm comparing them, but I'm acknowledging that being racially profiled is a million times worse. But like, walk, I, I know the feeling of walking into a shop like uh, Harvey Nichols or Louis Vuitton and then you kind of get looked up and down and straight away you're like, you're making a preconceived judgement here that I shouldn't be in here or that I can't be getting anything and it's not a nice feeling. Now imagine somebody following you around TK Maxx as you're looking for something. It's so creepy. It's, a, it's, it's, out, it's, out of order. it's a million times worse. So let me tell you something, another good story. I got given, I got a payment of like £4,000 in my account. That was like the biggest check I put in my account. Mm. I go to the bank and then they refused me to withdraw the money. No way. After it's been cleared for a week, it's well, been paid by an organization. And then they literally froze my account for two weeks saying that it looks like it's fraud money for no reason. I had to close my account with that bank. What bank was it? Barclays Bank. Scumbags. Honestly, they refused to, they were like, oh, we need to trace the, where the money came from. Actually, Literally, they saw my, I know that, it, honestly, they, I, even, I even went to bring the, uh, this guy who is like a CEO or the, the leader of this charity organization who I had filmed the documentary for. Mm-hmm. So they paid me that fee. Yeah. They gave me a check signed by the, the, you know, the CEO of the organization. I had to take him to the bank. They were like, well, we have a process of 14 days to access this. I never had another bank account. So I was stuck yeah. for two weeks. And obviously coming from uh, an African character, like if you start asking your mom or your brothers and sisters who are younger than you money, they start looking at you like, come on, get a life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was stuck for two weeks. I had only 10 quid for two weeks. Sure. I mean, there must be a case for, I'm sure you're past it now, but there must be a case for legal legal action. Again, maybe this is the whole the privilege of being white I would be kicking up fuck yeah. I'd be taking ret- legal action and be like you've inconvenienced me to this point and I want financial recompense and do you know what I'd probably get it because they would go yeah why would we possibly that's your money yeah. How did, should they decide nah you're not getting it because we don't trust you yeah and then after two weeks I got my money I had to take all the money out and close the account I was like I cannot deal with this stress yeah I, I don't I don't think it'd be the worst thing if people closed their accounts with Barclays and then because think about it most of us like when you come from Africa and you've not grown here maybe you don't know the law about money and what mm-hmm. you can do and what so that, far you've there got. is no way that they can be holding Honestly. your money they held the money and I had nothing to do. And, you know, I was working on that documentary for three months. Mm. So I was wait, waiting for the pay, you know, and then that that happened. But, yeah, it just started, makes me question about, you know, my whole living in Scotland. Scotland, people are really lovely. You know, I've got some amazing friends who always come home for barbecues. But other things happen to you and you're like, you yeah. know, step back and you're like, okay. I suppose 
it's maybe just no. It sounds as if I'm defending it. It's the duality of life, isn't it? That mm-hmm. you've you've kind of said before, the good comes with the bad. You said Glasgow's really welcoming. You've had so many amazing friends, lots of positive experiences. Your words were, you've got to take the good with the bad and Glasgow's no different. You see both sides. That's a good way to look at it. It is a bit yin and yang, but it doesn't alleviate how unfair and how, how infuriating that must be because I'm getting really angry just hearing about it, but I'm going to walk out of the studio later and my life is just going to be fine. It's going to be comfortable. People are always, for the most part, going to respond positively to me based on just looking at me. Yeah. And and I, I can acknowledge that that is unfair and we've got a long way to go until until things change. Um, positive experiences, though, I mean, not that I'm trying to like whitewash the fucking wrongdoings or the, the poor goings on, but what have been then, have there been positive experiences that have affirmed to you, oh, no, I, I'm glad to be here? I mean, lots of them. You know, a lot of, I, I love music and I like how uh, Scotland really supports a lot of creative uh, mm-hmm. projects, like from musicians and filmmakers and stuff like that. And I, I, I ate... Um, I like some of the food here, actually. Sometimes, you know, when you feel like cooking, you get a bit of chips and, you know, some chips and, you know, fish. You yeah, know? did we not talk about this the other week? Yeah. When you, I was just go- coming in the studio and you were just leaving? Was it a rolling sausage, maybe, we were talking about? No, it was the, the traditional Scottish food they eat on Robert Burns. Uh, oh, haggis. Haggis. I went to try <laughs> haggis for the first time. And everybody's been telling me eating Have you not had it yet? No, I've had it now. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. had it now, but they told me I bought it at the wrong place. I need to go and look for... They, they gave me some recommendations yeah. of the best places to go. Did you like it? Yeah, I'm, I've got mixed feelings about it. I love, yeah. I love, I guess, man. Yeah. I love it. But you know, I think when you're eating food as well, like you need to slowly get used to it. But because yeah. there's a bit of meat there, why not? I love yeah. it. You know, what what is a sort of traditional food that you would have at home? For us, there's something called fufu. It's like mashed cassava. That is, so they guess cassava. What's that? It's it's like something that looks like sweet potato, but it's oh. tasteless. All oh, right, okay. So they dry it, right, and then they put it in the machine that mashes it into a powder, and mm-hmm. then you get hot water. You know, cook that with it. Yeah. Then after that, you get cassava leaves, leaves of cassava, the same plant. Right. Okay. And then you mash those, and then put like onions and stuff like that. And then you can put like tilapia fish and a lot of you know, hot pepper and stuff like that, nice. and eat that mashed with the with that. It's it's that sort of like going good. to heaven and staying there for five days. <laughs> the uh, the I think the only experience I have with a type like I, I'm aware how enormous Africa is. But with African food is um, Ethiopian food. Yeah. Have you had that? Yeah, I ate a I bit of it. Lo- yeah. I love it. For anybody who doesn't know, like, would you call it like a like a wrap or a chapati sort of thing? Sort it's of like a chapati and then they put like loads of different meats. So it sums like vegetarian and they're like kind of dotted around the chapati and then you... you Eat up your hands and you. Oh my god, it's amazing. We bond over food. Yeah. All my Scottish friends who've been to our barbecues at home and ate oh. some of the food from our, back home, we become friends after that. Yeah. And for us, we eat chapati as well. And then you can have it like with beans or stew or oh, beef. It. It's life. It's beautiful. The uh, I, I want to talk about your idea to create the comic book. What I love is that you wrote it down. You, you, did you get up at like three in the morning for a glass of water? You wrote down the idea and then completely forgot about it until you saw Stanley's Black Panther. Uh, the character was made into a movie. So you, did you leave the cinema? Basically sat down, didn't you, and wrote the first script of, of Beats of War? Is that kind of what happened? That's what kind of happened. I always get like my ideas are the strangest times of the night. You know, Do you like, not think that's like the for me at night time is I have these moments of pure inspiration, but then I wake up the next morning and go, nah, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> you have to like go for it. Like last night, I'll tell you when I was going to bed because I'm working on a film script, I started recording voice notes of some scenes that I could add there. Yeah, and then literally, if you put a hidden camera there and show that footage to somebody, they're like, this guy needs to be in a mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you get the best ideas at time because I feel like you're cut off from the world. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, and no one is calling you about a dog that is missing or something. Yeah, you're just completely switched off and you're maybe connected. Well, you and I have discussed the secret and and being connected to inspiration, maybe you're, you're disconnected from the frivolities is that a word yeah the frivolous things in in life and you're I don't know you're connected to 
source and more like inspiration the your inner self you're off the internet you know and it's just you and there's no cars and then something just pops well, I always yeah. go like can I just say I can walk to my fridge in the kitchen with my eyes closed cuz literally my brain knows where my doors are <laughs> yeah if there was a ghost that I could just easily bump Each into it and then I know where to go where to open and go get some water drink and then when I go to the living room boom can I create a black superhero mm. and then just highlight these things that I'm facing in Scotland? I felt like there was a positive way. That could be, it could have been the positive way I could channel my energy of what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing down some ideas and then left it there, went back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like forgot about it. And when Black Panther came out, I went to see it, how they were portraying African courage and you know showing the Western world and stuff like that. I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm going to take this chance and do my own story because I've lived there there's so much I can tell about yeah. our character that I could bring into a comic book that people have never seen before mm. and the thing is I've written up to 10 issues right now and we release them so- slowly by the time we get to the fifth issue people will be like whoa whoa and I'm bringing the, the two worlds together Glasgow Scotland yeah. being my home and Congo I have to you know highlight this uh, I, I love that the amalgamation of the sort of two cultures and experiences and it's unique because there aren't many people who know Glasgow and Scotland in such an intimate way but also have such a first hand and yeah. recent experience of that African culture so I mean you, you said as well you can see that you're a f- big fan of Stan Lee and Mark Miller the Coat Bridge born creator of Kickass for anybody there might be people who don't realise that Kickass was born in Coat Bridge essentially oh my god Ma- talking about Mark Miller so when I dropped my comic book I was like I wish Mark Miller could have my comic book I didn't know how to contact him I never mm. seen this guy before. Yeah. I just know about his work and everything. But just putting those words into the universe. Yeah. Someone interviews me and they happen to know Mark Miller. Amazing. I send him a copy. Guess what? He retweets it. Oh, nice. And then he we, we pals now. He messages <laughs> me on Twitter. Just the universe. You put things out there. That's it. And then they happen. If you don't go for it, if you don't if you don't put out that intention, then it'll it'll never come. How is he has he helped you in terms of advice or inspiration or? Um, no, he just kinda we kinda he said thank you for sending a copy he liked the work and the sort of how mm-hmm. it was written and the way it's presented it's really professional and he said let's keep in touch you never know the future there could be a collaboration I always put things in the universe and things that yeah. do happen I try to stay positive and put the right energy and I think if you have good intentions when you're doing something um, people will always connect with that mm-hmm. I feel that and another thing putting out into the into the universe which I quite liked so you were unaware of the, the famous Glasgow Razor gangs until you were chatting to your friend Liam and you had kind of said to him that you wanted characters but bad characters that had a bit of class a bit of edge and how they dress and talked and then he's like right go and research the Razor gangs yes. how was that I mean was that is quite, that's an interesting thing because I remember being like 12, 13 reading like No Mean City mm-hmm. um, and sort of other other works and being like wow this lost yeah lost lost, yeah I was going to say lost history and lost world still kind of exists but they just don't dress in flat caps and fancy blazers it's more like I don't know a tracksuit and a pair of trainers yeah I mean when I spoke to Liam I was like I'm looking for some sort of villains that have class to them yeah and because, you know, I grew up watching TV and I like Peaky Blinders. Like and they'll this... slash you, but they look good while yeah. they're doing it. <laughs> like, you will, this guy, you will not even believe that he's a criminal or he can yeah. do something to you. Because it's all about territories and stuff like that. So when he told me, check out the Razor Gang, I was like, whoa. Even the name, I was like, yeah, that got to me straight away. I was like, it's got to be there. And me being me, I started looking for a lot of articles written about these guys, Google. And then Limo was like, actually, 18, I may know someone who might know about the Razor Gang. Partly, maybe, in the Razor Gang. <laughs> I'm like, bruh, no, no, but let's see. Is he okay? Is he cool to me? He's like, yeah, but um, lockdown started, so I didn't meet him. But uh, he gave me all the information I needed. And I felt like just kind of basing the story in Glasgow and having that history in the comic book. Mm-hmm. would connect with people here because yeah. they also people they know about these stories yeah or people have like a sort of rough understanding or just like from whatever we prism they've seen that story through and I think it's amazing to be able to to combine those because you know black people's lived experience in Scotland exists and yeah. we're only partially aware of it but if you I don't know if you tie in with something that people are aware of then no it's great How yeah. how is it 
comic book being received? Are people loving it? People are loving it. I've sold over 4,000 copies now. Wow. Why? So that's independent as well. Yeah, I, amazing. I, don't, I don't have any big company help me out. I'm pushing it out every day. And uh, I mean, I put my heart to it. I remember when I was in Atlanta and then I told these Americans that I'm from Scotland and I was a filmmaker and I write comics. They're like, where's Scotland? These guys don't know where Scotland is. You know? You know what? They laughed about it. Mm-hmm. They made fun of it somewhere. And I know it, I didn't take it personal, but it made me realize I'm like, I need to make a point. I need people to know where Scotland is. Yeah. Like we've got to put map. it on the map. Yeah. That's so funny because. I can I can like I partially imagine their confusion, um, like seeing you and hearing you, but then you seeing your Scottish because when I'm in America, they're like, "Hey, do you guys like live in the hills and little mud huts?" And you're like, "Fuck off, mate! You guys got television like we invented it, we man. Don't we get wide. Invented it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, invent- I'm sure we invented the radio, did we? I think the bulb as well. There's so much. We invented everything. I'm like, Braveheart is from Scotland. You don't know about Scotland. And then well, I that's feel the like... thing. They they think that a lot of Americans to think that Braveheart is our lived everyday experience. And you know why I'm creating these comics? I want in the future to start shooting movies in Scotland and show the city the way it is. Yeah. You know how you see New York mm-hmm. in a Batman movie? And you know it's a Gotham, but yeah. it's New York. You, we got to highlight these parts of the city so that people can get to know. Because a lot of people, Americans come to shoot movies here, which is good for the economy, but yeah. they start changing traffic lights to make it look like Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. No way. I mean, we've got a very interesting history and I would love to be for it to be on film. I think they say like the most recognisable character, like a character, oh, sorry, a cartoon character is you know it's it's brilliantly done when you recognise it in silhouette form. And you could show me Big Ben, the Taj Mahal, uh, Empire State Building in silhouette form and I would know that it was, you know, whether it was India or where else did I say, London and New York. Yeah. For, obviously for us, if we see any famous Glasgow landmark in silhouette form, we immediately know what it is and we immediately associate it. And it would be amazing if people went, oh, hey, there's the finished in crayon. In Glasgow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And you know what? I've, I've made sure that I send lots of copies in, to Americans. A lot of my friends in yeah. America, Atlanta, you know, LA, I'd make sure they have like five copies of mm-hmm. Beats of War. There's no reason why Beats of War can't become, you know, massive across the world because if it's the content that people go for, isn't it? And if it's something that's relatable, but while new and fresh and enjoyable, people are going to love it. I mean, yeah, people are going to love it. People are always looking for new stories like TV networks always do as well. Like, if there's a story to tell in Scotland about how diverse the country is and its mm-hmm. history, I feel like that would be really interesting on on, uh, on a motion uh, uh, film. I think every, mo- every night when I go to sleep, I always imagine this opening scene of the Reza gang standing intensively looking at this superhero who's trying to stop them from fighting with the police. Mm. I always imagine that image with the like, you know, a camera angle just going out, tilting down. Yeah. You know, I always imagine that being on film and people understand, oh, these are the Reza gang. These are Scottish gangsters that you probably di- didn't hear about and they were tough, you mm. know, and they were classy too, you know. I feel like that being on film, honestly, yeah. it would be interesting. Well, I mean, I opened this by saying... I really think there there will be a time when people come out of the cinema and go, how did that come about? And people might have heard me say that and went, aye, very good. But I don't think now at this point, 40 minutes or 45 minutes into our conversation, I think people will now understand what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what we were going to talk about, they didn't. Um, and the fact that, you know, everything else that you've put out there has, has come to pass, has happened or is happening. So what's to say that that won't? Can I please have a part as one of the racer gangs? <laughs> you know what? Send me a picture after this show. I'm going to put you in the issue too. It's possible. Excellent. Right. Yes, let's do it. I- I'm so excited. Um... Is your mattress making noises it never used to? Or is it sagging, causing you to... Then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. What well, if, if anybody wanted to, to, get, to get a copy of Beats of War, how are they, they going about that? Where can they get it? 
I mean, if you go and Google and put Beats of War by Etienne Kubwabo, yeah. it, it will show up because there's been a lot of media behind it. You know, you'll find mileawayfilms.com, mm-hmm. mileawayfilms.com. If you go to my website there, you can go to the ATN universe. That's where you can get a copy. As always, it's, it's predictable with any white guys podcast. They'll be like, hey, yeah, I'll put that in the, the episode notes. But yeah, that's where it'll go. You'll find links to that in the episode notes if you want to. I suggest that you do because um, that would be amazing. You mentioned about networks being keen or networks um, trying to highlight the diversity of Scotland. Uh, you're currently working in a big light produced podcast for the BBC tell us about that yeah uh, what up it's been a long time coming you know and having that sort of opportunity to create uh, a podcast like this that kind of tells stories and shares stories of trailblazers unsung heroes of people in Scotland that are doing amazing things yeah. I mean we've not had that in Scotland look at how diverse the country is mm-hmm. so what up came at the right time Yeah, honestly telling these stories about people who are doing positive things in the community I think we need this more than ever absolutely you've had some great guests as well you had uh, Sanjeev Kohli was on Sanjeev Kohli yes. n- known to a lot of people affectionately as Naveed from Still Game um, amazing guy no, no, no bad thing to be remembered as that how how was that uh, interacting with him when I spoke to him, I kind of felt like I knew him because mm. I had, I was a cameraman on red carpet at the BAFTA before and then he got interviewed by this girl that I was filming for. And then when I mentioned that to him, we started having this conversation one-to-one about film and how it's important to tell your stories where you come from yeah. because you know that story better than anybody else. Yeah. And then you know what? He ended saying that the universe, you got to put things in the universe. So we kind of like go on the same yeah, wave. Like, that wave like. Yeah, he's like, Etienne, I'm going to meet you one day at the red carpet, you know? with our projects out there right there I feel like I knew this guy for so long yeah I love that I love when that happens I love that energy from him and it was and, and it was quite it was really inspiring not quite really inspiring just listening to his story and the things he's done and how his parents wanted him to do other things and mm-hmm. then he went off to be a comedian does so you, you might not know this so his family owned uh, an Indian restaurant called the Gulistan Mm-hmm. Which is really, really famous in the north of Glasgow in Auchinern. Oh, wow. uh, and he at one point worked in there as a waiter. From from, from like I, I had my fifth birthday dinner, yeah. fifth five years old birthday dinner in this Indian restaurant, and that's where we used to always go for food. And I always like fantasize, like I wonder if Navid ever ever served me. Um, I know he's far more than that, but like, to me, he'll, he'll always be. Yeah, you know, he could win an Oscar, and I'd be like, "Yeah, but your finest work was really when you played in the Vidin Still game." Yeah. Um, another another person who I'm really fascinated by, and I interviewed his cousin Jean Johansson, uh, Stuart Chasimiri. Chasimiri, a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to embarrass myself with the name pronunciation. What was what was it like speaking to him? Because he's he's worked in some some really incredible things, including a documentary called Black and Scottish, which yeah. I recommend anybody to watch. It's on BBC iPlayer. He was uh, inspiring. You know what I got from his his chat? For him, he said. He had to invest in his stuff, you know, because people didn't believe in him. Yeah. You have to invest in the technology and things you're trying to, you know, do, uh, the story you were trying to tell. You have to invest in yourself so mm. that people can start coming along. And he works so hard and he tells stories, obviously, of things he's gone through and he's just, he works with his daughter. It's so, it's so, it's so amazing mm-hmm. seeing his story on how he started off. Now he's running one of the, you know, best create anything company owned by a black man in Scotland. Yeah. That's pretty that's progress right here. So seeing him doing what he do and him talking to me, I felt like the moment that everything is possible because I'm a filmmaker myself and then I felt like I was having that one-to-one conversation about film and stuff like that. Yeah. It was quite inspiring because for him, he was doing this longer than I've been doing it and you know, it was really it was a really good interview. How, how um, important are trailblazers like, like Stuart for, for leading the way because you're saying he's helping you to see that anything is possible and before him would there have been another black representation of that type of success or something that you could relate to and go yeah I mean that's what I can get to I mean do you think it's vital that people like like him do lead the way yeah I, f- I think it's vital because think about this uh some young people are going to listen to this podcast mm. and a lot of young people of color especially they do struggle with confidence and thinking that okay if I do this if I step out of out of what my family wants me to do be a doctor a lawyer or an engineer I'll be a disgrace to the family 
and a lot of people struggle with these thoughts and they don't come out of the box mm-hmm. so having him you know chat talk on the show and this is going to be a message that will be pushed out there a lot of young people are going to be inspired to do what they want to do honestly it's it's uh, it's very important for him to speak it's very important just kind of uh, sorry for the the 2 3 seconds of dead air there but yeah i completely I was just kind of reflecting on that. I, again, it's something that I hadn't considered. There's that cultural difference. Yeah. Um, has your has your mum now, now that you're doing really well, is she like, okay, yeah, you called it right? Or does she still kind of think, yeah, but when are you going to get a real job or be an accountant? <laughs> My mum, like, it took her some time, you know. Uh, I think I invited her to these awards that at college when I, when I won the best documentary and music video. She was still not convinced, but... My mom, she came here and then she realized that we're in the Western world. So she has to kind of adjust to kind of like understand the things will change. Even her kids are growing up in a new environment. Yeah. So she understands, but I know she worries. Every time, even That's when you go, moms, to, yeah, when you go to a house, she's like, ah, can I pack some food for you? <laughs> Do you have some money for your rent? Like she kept asking me that. And I told her, mom, please, if you ask me again, I'm not coming back here. You know, I'm okay. Don't worry, really. Like she can pack some food for me if she wants, because it sounds pretty good. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's always she's lovely. She's always packing food. If you go and see how she packs food for you, because she she thinks that we don't cook, but I actually do cook. But my mama's come around and she's supportive, and she's learned to understand. Even when I gave her a copy of Bits of War, mm-hmm. she didn't know what it was. Yeah. So my young brother Romeo is the one who told me, like, you know what? I had to sit with mom for like a good half hour. We read through it, and I tried to understand to tell her what the story is about yeah, yeah. and how there's a story behind it you know there's a, a lot of mythologies w- with these comic books you know things that yeah. inspire you and stories you want to tell to the world but you tell them in a certain way so she kept and then she said why are these people green she meant the alien civilization from space <laughs> So my brother started saying, well, he imagined that. You have to imagine that's creativity Yeah. but she understands even though she does not understand everything mm-hmm. but she's there you know, and she's came to terms that I'm the one, maybe a kid in the family who decided to go the other way. Everybody else is an engineer, doctor or whatever. I'm the only person who's doing all mm-hmm. the creative stuff. Well, there's been trailblazers for you or people that you've looked to uh, for inspiration, Sanjeev, Stuart, that we've spoken about, but you're now becoming that person for, for other people. Yeah. Um, and that is that is amazing to see. I mean, to see where you've where you've come from the things that you've not only experienced but you've used to propel you and you know you could very easily have been all and I, I would not blame you if you were like oh woe is me and this was terrible and how tough have I had it because it's been unimaginably tough like my eyes started really properly filling up like just imagining you being separated and split from your family and to to have to come and not only to survive but to thrive and be an example for people coming behind you is just yeah there really are no words to fully do it justice how impressive how how nice it is to hear um and how inspiring it is i really don't want to be patronizing because i know that sounds like a pat in the head and saying (laughs) well done no it's really like man hats off to you 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 know you've you've got beats of war it's it's doing brilliantly you've got your podcast you're working in other projects yeah we know that i mean surely if there's a filmmaker listening to this they're getting the script written and they're going to start creating the story of your life and could start creating the film for for beats of war aside from that looking forward maybe a year maybe five maybe ten where do you see yourself going and what new paths do you see yourself sort of forging? For me, uh, I will see. I see myself doing films. You know, you know, telling stories that are really original to me and inspiring the world. You know, mm. through all these things I've done, comic books, superhero movies, but also drama films or science science fiction films that are original and are inspiring to the world. Because I feel like I know I'm put here to inspire the world through storytelling. And mm-hmm. I know in five years' time I'll be shooting one of the biggest films in in Hollywood somewhere. I love it. I don't doubt it for a minute. Thank you for for sitting down here and and having this conversation with me. It's um it's been really enjoyable. I know people will enjoy listening. Thank you so much. And uh, 
I don't even know what to say, to be honest, other than I'm so glad you're Glaswegian. I'm here. Happy days. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this half as much as I've enjoyed recording it. And we'll see you for another episode of Bletherton. Cheers. Bleathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media. You could start a fight in an empty house. Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.